Never in my life have I felt more like a failure, right? So I was in New York City, downtown courthouse, negotiating my divorce, right? And then in the middle of that, I was leaving the negotiation room with my lawyers and my ex-husband and his lawyers. And I was going out and sitting on a window ledge to take calls about my company where I was severing ties with some of my earlier strategic partners. And at that point, I just felt everything I have worked for up until this point is going up in flames. But even in that moment, Kimberly, even in that very moment, there was some, might sound crazy, right? But there was some sense of excitement and some sense of hope because to not be hopeful is to be dead. And so there's, there's always space for hope in my life. So I know this is a podcast, and so none of you will see me, but when I was preparing for today's episode with our guest Asma Ahmed, I put on one of my favorite pins. The pin is round and yellow, and it has the words Black Disabled Lives Matter printed in bold text. These pins were made by the graphic designer Jen White Johnson, who writes on her website, quote, My definition of mothering as an act of resistance means to redesign ableist visual culture. The sole intention is to empower and activate change, encouraging communities to engage in conversations about acceptance rooted in how Black neurodivergent children are valued and seen, end quote. I kept returning to this quote because Asma's son is autistic, which means that she's consistently finding ways to bring that life experience into her work with technology to get people to engage with identity and humanity. In her segment on Hulu, Asma speaks about her son's autism and how it has opened her eyes to challenges around access. She defines herself in her own words. I am a mother. I am an engineer. I am a businesswoman, a do-gooder, an eternal optimist, and I'm definitely a risk taker. I am an immigrant. I am Muslim. Yeah, that's all I can think of. Asma brings all of these identities together in her work. With innovations including Plum Perfect and the diversity meter, Asma maintains her roots as a builder and seeks to make our world more simple, equitable, and accessible. Welcome to Your Attention, Please, the companion podcast to the Hulu series of the same name that introduces us to present-day makers of Black history. I'm your host, Kimberly Drew, a curator, writer, and co-editor of the anthology Black Futures. And today, Asma Ahmed needs Your Attention, Please. Oh, I am so excited to talk to you today. Your energy is so infectious. I am excited too. I've been looking forward to this. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Well, let's just start at the start um, because I think that one of the more amazing things about this entire process is that I got to learn about you through a film, which you created with Hulu. And let's just start there. What was it like to work on that film? And also, what was it like to see yourself represented in that way? First of all, there was an amazing crew that made me just look great. I usually don't like watching myself, but I loved watching this one because I felt like it really represented me. 
it didn't feel, you know, that uncomfortable feeling you have when you're watching yourself. I didn't feel that at all. This was authentically who I am and how I show up in the world. And so that was great. Obviously an honor to be one of the 12 black voices represented. And when I was approached to do this, I said, I just, I wanted to tell a story about success, but also about failure, right? About how, you know, life is messy and unpredictable sometimes. And through all of that, there's hope and there is just beauty in the journey and there's growth. And so for me, that was, I wanted to tell really all of the, the ways that we persevere as Black women, as Black people living here as people in general. And so for me, it was just the way that manifested, and I think manifested beautifully, if I may say so myself, in the video was through the story of my son and through the story of my career ups and downs. And, and I want to talk to you, of course, about what you said about, you know, a story of success and failure. But before we move forward, you said that watching the video back, you really saw yourself. What were some of the elements that really made you feel like this really emboldened and full version of yourself? The end of the video, when I was asked what success meant for me, and I said it was both doing well and doing good. So the doing well is being compensated adequately for what I'm worth. We all know the statistics. Black women, I think, right now um, get paid 70 cents on the dollar. And the second was doing good. Doing good is having impact well beyond me, right? Affecting lives well beyond me positively. And so that was, to me, that, that ending just, I was like, yes, that's it, right? That was how I, that's how I would want to end this. And so, yeah, that was it. And then also just talking about my life as an engineer and also as a business person. I like to think of myself or I describe myself as a business-minded engineer or as a technically-minded business person. I'm both, right? I can speak the language of the people that build the product and also speak the language of the people that take whatever product we're taking to market. And so that's the role I love to play. And I think that came across in the video very well. It was both human and futuristic, like the whole, it just, it, it merged just humanity and also like technology. And for me, I sit at the intersection of both. And so that was, that was what I loved about it the best. Yeah, I can totally echo that. I feel like there's, there's something interesting about the aesthetics of the future where sometimes it can feel really distant from reality. It can feel like, oh, this is this fantastical version of how we live and how we are. But there was something about your film and especially your background as an engineer that really brought a level of humanity. And there was so much vulnerability in, in your video, which is why I was really, I think, why I'm in such a good mood and so excited to talk to you today, because I think we're often told that business people or engineers or people who work in STEM or have a passion for STEM, there's there's not room for like the vividity of, of what it means to be creative as well. And I wonder for you and your path, how do you, how do you balance all of those things? So I grew up with a mother that has spent her entire life in service of humanity, right? Um, I grew up in Nigeria and she has, she's a lawyer by 
training, but has spent her entire life on on human rights. Right, she's been in war torn zones, um, negotiating, you know, with with presidents and and doing what she can for not only human rights for women's rights as well. And so she was a huge influence in my life. And then a dad that is like crazy brilliant scientist, like crazy. But he was, you know, I went through the British A levels, you know, and I was sixteen doing like physics and advanced math A-levels, and my dad was in his 40s then. Um, he was about my age, and he was helping me. Like, I don't remember any of that stuff now, right? <laughs> so he's just really, really brilliant. And so our dinner table conversations were at the intersection of both, innovation and humanity. And that's really what I've carried through forward in my entire life. I wasn't really able to articulate that, honestly, Kimberly, until most recently. Like, what really drives me? It's at the intersection of both of those things. No, absolutely. I... I'm aware that there's a stereotype that, you know, all engineers are emotionally unintelligent, right? Or that we kind of live in a bubble and have a very binary way that we see the world. And that's not true. Engineering is an art. It's not as black and white as people think it is. It's logic, but as humans, we get to control that logic. We use our brains in the multitude of ways that we use them in everyday reasoning. For me, building a product is an expression of my creativity. And where I just, what I love to do, what I really, really love to do is find gaps in user experience or find gaps in the way we do everyday things as human beings and figure out how technology can close that gap. Because good engineers, good scientists adapt. Absolutely. And I wonder if you could talk about adaptation? Because I know that, I mean, in watching your story, there's so many phases and changes that you've overcome or, or grown alongside in your life and your education. Can you talk a bit about what you've learned from adapting? You know, I've learned that adapting is a survival skill and it's sink or swim. There are things and life events and circumstances completely outside of our control that if we don't quickly adapt to them in the way we know how to, then we don't survive, right? I've had many, you know, as a young woman, as a young engineer growing up, I thought, you know, I thought my first job I was going to go in and I was going to excel, right? That was just what I did. I thought I was I was smart, and even if I wasn't smart and I didn't know the, what I was doing, I was, I had grit, and I worked really hard, and I was going to stay the course. But I did not imagine that I would go into the workplace, and there would be the human factors that there were. You know, there would be bias, and I had to adapt to that. Right? I had to adapt mentally. I had to still show up and do the work. Also, at home, I you know, had this perception of this dream of what my family was going to look like. My son was going to go to the best schools. He was going to learn, learn Mandarin and Spanish and, you know, all of these languages. And then he got diagnosed and I wasn't sure if he was ever going to be able to tie his shoelaces, ever. And that was completely outside of my control. There was nothing. I tried to get it within my control, right? I did every possible thing I could possibly do but at the end of the day, he is who he is in all of his 
glory. And I had to adapt to what life is with him. I had to adapt to being married and thinking I was going to be married for the rest of my life because that was just what we did to being divorced and being a single mom of two kids. And so it is in all of that chaos, right? All of that messiness that life throws at us. For me, I always find hope, right? There's always a reason at that moment where things just seem to be so messy and they don't seem to make sense. There's always a glimmer of hope. I remember one moment I was never in my life have I felt more like a failure, right? So I was in New York City, downtown courthouse, negotiating my divorce, right? And then in the middle of that, I was leaving the negotiation room with my lawyers and my ex-husband and his lawyers. And I was going out and sitting on the window ledge to take calls about my company where I was severing ties with some of my earlier strategic partners. And at that point, I just felt everything I have worked for up until this point is going up in flames. My marriage is failing. My son's sick. My company's failing. Everything seems to be going wrong. But even in that moment, Kimberly, even in that very moment, there was some, might sound crazy, right? But there was some sense of excitement and some sense of hope because the reality was that I was living with these things for so long, these things that were weighing me down that I felt a sense of freedom once they would they were over. It was scary as hell, don't get me wrong, <laughs> to let them go because I had to work so hard. But it was time, right? And I think it was just the universe saying, there's something better, there's something new, there's like all of this, if you will not let go of it, we will let go of it for you. One of my mantras of this time has been holding hope because I think it's such a profound lifestyle because in holding hope, there's also this ability to confront all of the things that are weighing us down. You know, it's not hope in the absence of anything else. It can be holding hope in the face of reality because there's always still this space for hope somehow. Always, right? To not be hopeful is to be dead. Right. And so there's, there's always space for hope in my life. Mm. Listening to you talking about this moment that so many of us encounter when you're just so depleted. And maybe if you're lucky, you have a moment or an opportunity to sit with all those feelings. And even in that, there's like an opportunity to still hold hope because you're still alive. Right. You're able to process and I feel like this is a perfect point to talk about Plum Perfect. Of course, <laughs> I want to ask you so many questions about Plum Perfect that my brain is doing backflips. But before that, I also want to share the statistic because I was reading my friend Darian's amazing newsletter called Beauty IRL that's all about beauty. And in today's newsletter, she shared the statistic. Last year, Yelp reported that searches for Black-owned businesses increased 2 thousand four hundred percent in 2020. Oh, wow. And I was just thinking that it's almost like the perfect point to talk about Plum Perfect because it's so well-timed. But before we get too deep into it, let's start at the start. Tell us the origin story. Tell us the why. So the beginning, I just always wanted to innovate, right? I just knew that I wanted to build something at scale that changed the way people interacted with everyday things. 
And so I went in and was just, you know, looking at my experiences, the experiences of people around me and just trying to find, again, trying to find that gap in the user experience. And the first version of Plum Perfect was, the name has changed like five times at least. I think at this point it was huge definition. This was before the iPhone. This was in around 2004. I'm aging myself right now. 2005. You are giving context for your wisdom, okay? (laughs) You have been on a journey, okay? I have been on the journey. Yes. Um, And and I, I thought at that point that photos and visual information will be used as a major way of communicating and a major decision criteria when it comes to how we purchase things, right? Which meant it would also be a major decision criteria when it comes to how you know, brands and retailers advertised. And so I built a visual search engine and my whole goal was to analyze color in photos and patterns and use that essentially just to to scan a photo, read a photo, understand its content, its color, its patterns. And from that information, use it to serve you with things that you would likely buy. And on the flip side of that, to help brands and retailers get more intelligent about what you are likely to buy. Right. So that was my thought process. And um, we had huge ambitions back then. And I was thinking we are going to be to photos what Google is to text. That's what I kept saying. We're going to be to photos what Google is to text. Obviously didn't get there, but, (laughs) but, you know, built this thing and then went about doing my, you know, post MBA stuff. I went and worked in finance. Um, I worked as a management consultant in M&A. But the, the, the problem kept nagging me because it was an experience that I had every day, you know, in, you know, when I was putting together an outfit, trying to find out the best matches, when I was putting together my makeup, difficulty finding the right makeup colors and for me, et cetera, putting together my home furnishings, just color and visual information, which just constantly reoccurring. Short story is I built it out some more, got some brilliant engineers to work with me and collaborate with me in building this out. We were able to raise money. Um, We decided to focus on beauty because it made the most sense in terms of a business to focus on. We built a very robust technology. We filed three patents. And essentially how it's manifested now is that a user can take a selfie. We analyze her color profile. We call it her color signature, hair, skin, eye, lip color. And we scour our database. And anyone that wants to work with us, we find the right products for her skin tone particularly relevant now in COVID times, right? Yes. I was thinking about how timely it is. I want to highlight what you said earlier about forming the idea of Plum Perfect back in 2005 and relaunching it now. In that time, I imagine there was a lot that happened. Was there anything pivotal that informed how the company is being shaped today? You know, we had large beauty brands come up with like, you know, this really sexy, really great tools that were try-on tools but in my opinion, didn't have the intelligence of what we had, which was a recommendation engine, like really getting to the core of what is in your photo and analyzing and recommending something for you. I know women of color, we know this. We know that this is important for us. We want people to know like what we look like. This is high stakes. (laughs) This is high stakes, stakes. right? Um, (laughs) And we've pivoted a lot of times to just adjust to the market. And there was a time, honestly, that I was just confused because I wanted to be everything to everybody, right? to all women, to women of color. And now Plum Perfect is focused on serving women of color 
Um, we will work with brands that also want to reach these, these women and we'll license our technology out to them. And so that's how Plum Perfect shows up in the world today after all of these years. I love getting that backstory. Thank you so much for just all of this. One of the things that is just so clear in watching your story is how important your children are to you. And I'm really looking forward to talking to you more about that next. But before we go there, we have some questions from Hulu subscribers who have watched your episode of Your Attention, Please. As many of you know, it's not just about the questions that I have for our guests. You've seen your attention, please. You may have some questions of your own, so ask them. Leave us a voicemail at 504-475-4858 for a chance to have your question featured on an upcoming episode of the podcast. So Tawana from Georgia wants to know two questions. I will ask the first one and then you can answer that and then we can do the second one. What did you study in college? I studied chemical engineering in college and I took enough courses. Uh, I think I was just one course short of getting a minor in math. I tried to study math when I was in college and it was a harrowing experience. (laughs) Question number two is, my son wants to build digital operations and digital buildings. What advice should I give him? Digital operations and digital buildings. Look, the advice is do as much, first of all, get started, right? Do as much research as you can. I don't know how old your son is, Tawana, but get him started on math and sciences early on. If he wants to do digital buildings, I'm not an architect and I don't know very much about that space. But the one thing that I would say for anybody that is exploring a career is go out there, get internships, get real life experience, see what it's really like, but don't let that constrain you. Like go out there and think of the possibilities of what you can do beyond what's being done today. So that's my advice. Get, st- get started early in the, in the, the STEM field and um, get an internship. One of the other reasons that I was really excited to talk to you is because I've recently become extremely obsessed with conversations around disability justice. And um, I'm actually wearing, oh, on the other side of my chest. I I'm know, wearing, I was going to say, I, I love that. Thank Black you. Lives and, Matter. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it says Black Disabled Lives Matter. Oh, I didn't see, oh, I love it even more now. Yeah, and it, yeah. it was designed by this woman, Jen White Johnson, who is an autistic Black graphic designer. And her son is also autistic, and she does so much work around advocacy and thinking about how to show up the best that she can for her son and create an environment of love and appreciation. And I just thought so much about her and and, and learning about you and your relationship with your son because there is just the overwhelming reality of our world in that we live in a world that disables people. And that's the truest reality. It's not that, you know, anyone is any less worthy of love, attention, or care, or all of the abundance of life, but we do live within a society that structurally disables people and doesn't allow them to have access to all of the great things. And there's so much power and love, really, that comes from parents like yourself who 
are pouring so much love into their children in in the face of that and just in despite that and you know what Kimberly it's the it's the reverse mm. he pours so much love into me and into our lives the gift that he has given me just by existing I cannot even begin to explain how much it is and I remember many years going through this periods where I just kept on asking, why me? Why my son? Why me? Why my son? And I'm not saying that I don't go through moments like that now. Um, there's certainly moments of fear. But more often than not, I, I'm thinking of the fact that he is who he is. And when you see, when you experience him, when I experience him, I know I'm biased as his mom, but all I see is joy. I see a freedom. I see that he's untethered by worldly things like ego and he's just free. He's very, very pure in his heart. Uh, just And I aspire to be like him. Really, I do. And it's that innocence that, you know, I just, I really want to preserve. And that's where the fear comes in, right? That's where you, we talk about access and we talk about justice. Do I worry that he is a young Black boy, soon to be, a young black man walking down the street and, you know, maybe he's having a, he's stimming, which is typical for autistic people on the spectrum, right? So maybe he's having some sort of sensory imbalance and he's trying to control himself and somebody thinks that he's doing something, you know, unusual and crazy and he, God forbid, he gets hurt by that. That is my biggest fear. And I will tell you honestly that I have nightmares about that, like real nightmares. I wake up in the middle of the night and I am, I have to kind of pray myself back to sleep. I know all of the statistics, right? Of police brutality when it comes to black men versus non-black men. And then how much worse it is for people on the spectrum, for anyone that has any kind of mental illness. And they're, they're horrific. They're really, really bad. Now, that is my biggest worry is that my son is in the wrong place at the wrong time and something that I don't even want to say, I don't want to actually say the words, something happens to him. I worry. He is, he's 10 years old now. He's a big 10 year old. He weighs as much as I do. And he, he's free, he's innocent. But I do see that he's no longer that cute little boy that people Things like, you know, I was at the gym once, a gym in New York City, and my son was, at that point, he wasn't even, that was about five years ago. I had a manager at the gym come up to me and say somebody was uncomfortable because he was staring at her. Like, a grown woman complained about a four or five-year-old at that point staring at her, right? Now, was he staring? Yeah. Sure, he was staring. Like, he like he was, but if that can happen then, what can happen now, right? All I can think about is how desperately I want to say, like, it's okay. Yeah. You know, and it will be okay. Yeah. But the truth is we live in this world, mm -hmm. you know, that has these realities. And that's why I started and just wanted to say it's the work that you do as a mother, you know, because there has to be a soft landing because – the world isn't going to afford that. Right. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the reality because 
I don't right. know that, especially as black people, we get the full opportunity to talk about the fears that we feel mm-hmm. in a way that that's human, and that's people human. don't see exactly. it as an excuse. Or and that's what burdens me so much is yeah. that anytime I and I have to admit a certain reservation even talking about this now is I don't want that to be the narrative that people hear, black woman complains about X, Y, Z. Like, I hate that, right? Can it just be human? Can we be just human first? But in all of this, right, in all of this reality of what it is to be black, living in the United States of America, living in the world, is there's hope. There's a ton of hope. And in my case, you know, just living in this world as a black woman, being a leader in corporate America, running my own company, being a mother, all of those experiences that I have are intrinsically linked to my identity, right? The way I show up are linked to the fact that I am female. Just the way the way that I show up as a woman is the same way I cannot take away my blackness. I show up as a black person too. It is the way I think, it is the way I approach my business, it's just everything. But in all of this, like having my son, there's hope. And the hope was in thinking about, remember how I told you I like to think of gaps in human experiences, right? And figuring out how technology can solve that and could close that gap. Is I saw this as a gap, right? I saw the fact that my son um, didn't have the access that every 10-year-old has. Clearly a gap. I saw the fact that You know, when I was kind of running my company, the way success was defined for me was somehow less than success for a white man. That's a gap, right? And it shouldn't be. I saw the fact that a lot of my brilliant Black women in corporate America had to constantly fight. And this is from a brilliant colleague of mine. She said, we constantly have to fight to be the Batmans and not the Robins, right? We're always playing the support roles. And so all of, for me, all of those experiences culminate into one thing, because I think on the other side of this, like when you think of the majority white, typically male, I think of it as a bell curve. I think that the majority of people have goodwill and really do think that inclusion and equity has a place in society. I really do. I'm an eternal optimist. I said that in the video. I really am. And so I think that is the case. Just people just don't know what to do. So if we can give them the tools and help them to do the right thing. I think that is, you know, we're already on our way there. And to me, the way that manifested was in the diversity meter. I would love to know more about how you built the diversity meter. Um, What were, you know, what were some of the aspects that went into its construction? So this is where, you know, it was very creative in the beginning, right? It was just what are the things that define who we are, right? What would make me show up authentically as myself? It's my identity. And um, I listed all of the different things about me. And there were 13 of them, right? About me, about my family, about my friends. And I was able to categorize them into 13 different attributes, race, gender, sexual orientation, political affiliation, et cetera. And I just started researching what are the different, hundred different religions that are out there you know, different sexual identities that the masses may not be aware of. Like, it's it's amazing, right, how much we don't know. So that was the first place. 
And then the next thing was, okay, I have identity, but I also have interests, right? There are things that I do that also define who I am. I am a runner. I am a mom. I love to dance, like just different things, right? And so I wanted that, that also bringing that aspect of myself is authentically me. And then also my goals and my aspirations. In a year, this is real, so anyone that's listening, in a year, <laughs> um, I want to serve on a corporate board. That is also part of my identity, right? It's a way that I show up authentically. So I built these parameters that make up who I am. And then I just started looking around ways that we can connect people based on attributes that are common, but also based on attributes that are different. So how can I connect with people that have the same interests, but have completely different identities? How can I connect with people that have the same goals as I do, but have very different interests? And that was how it started. I love that. I mean, I think so much about my brain wants to say, and I know this is not true, but please forgive me. I think about engineers and those who develop product almost like, and designers similarly, that there's this like secret rock star life where people are <laughs> using your things and maybe they don't know your name or they don't know that you, your code or your signatures, but we all in some ways benefit or hindered in some cases right. by the work that you're doing. And I wonder if we could talk a bit maybe too about success. If you're working with something over time, and there's of course the public side of it, but I wonder how you define success in relationship to the work that you're doing. Um, and if you could tell us about a time when you've like on a personal note, really felt that power. For me, the, the moments of success the moments I feel the happiest, like butterflies in my stomach, like just the happiest is when I feel like I have a breakthrough idea. And then I know that they're, all of the pieces work together and I can actually make it work. Like the moment I thought about the diversity meter and the impact it could possibly have, that moment for me was a personal moment of success. I was happier in that moment than I was when Plum Perfect hit like the millions of customers mark. Does that make sense? Like, because at that moment when Plum Perfect was growing and scaling, the wheels were turning. We kind of, we figured things out. I felt happy. I felt excited. We went out to dinner and we celebrated. But you asked like personally, like in my hearts of hearts, when I am most excited and when I feel successful is when there is, when I feel like I've cracked the knot on something, I've cracked the code. And there's this like excitement to just go do it. I think as innovators and creators, and this is also true for me, we're constantly seeking that next thing. That is hard for us to even pause and say, wow, that's a great milestone. That was success. And I am still learning that, Kimberly. I really am. I'm still learning to just pause and say, that was a success story. Thank you so much. And thank you to your amazing children as well for letting me borrow their mom. It has been such a privilege to speak with you today. You're awesome. It's been wonderful speaking with you as well. Thank you. This conversation has been so powerful. And I really appreciated the ability to hear more from Asma about how her own personal journey has shaped her projects. The mission to do well and do good is absolutely going to stick with me. 
And I can't wait to see what Asma continues to build in the future. If you enjoy this conversation, don't you worry. We've got so much more to come. We'll be talking to all of the makers from season two of Your Attention Please on this podcast. So if you haven't already, watch the show, now streaming on Hulu. The episodes are also available for free on Hulu's YouTube channel. And of course, if you have a question for any of our guests that you want to ask, leave us a voicemail at 504-475-4858. So be sure to subscribe, leave us a rating, write a review, forward it to your cousin. It'll help more people find this show. Episodes are available literally anywhere and everywhere that podcasts are found. And also right within the Hulu platform. Don't be afraid to find what you love, share it with the world, and scream from the mountaintop, your attention, please. Your Attention, Please, the podcast is a production of Hulu and Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers are Jenna Weiss-Berman, Max Linsky, J.N. Barry, and Barry Finkel. Our lead producer is Sophia Steinert-Evoy, and our associate producer is Brianna Garrett. The Your Attention, Please theme song is composed by Teddy Walton. Our show is engineered by Davey Sumner. And of course, I'm your host, Kimberly Drew. You can find me on social media at at Museum Mammy. That's all for this week, but we'll be back next Tuesday with more Black Excellence. <laughs> <laughs>